Welcome uh, to everyone who is uh, tuning in uh, to this worship service uh, from your home using your computers and laptops and tablets and cell phones. Pleased to have you joining in with us for worship of our great God. Let me uh, note just a couple of things here. If you do you have your computer, you will also be able to access a bulletin to go along with this service. I encourage you to uh, pull that out. Uh, it includes on there the text of the hymns that we'll be singing, as well as the scripture reading, the confession of faith, and you'll find that very helpful to you. I also want to note we will be having a time of an offertory and special music, and just a reminder to our church members, uh, many of you are, are mailing in your offerings. Uh, we're very thankful for that and just hope that you will continue to do that. And uh, you can either mail them in, you can place them in a, uh, in our mailbox outside that by lifting up the bottom of the mailbox, you can put it into a locked portion of that section, whatever works best uh, for you. But we thank you for continuing to give uh, to the church. Let me also note that um, if anyone is in need of help, whatever it may be, whether it is a financial help, whether it is you're needing errands run to the grocery store, to the pharmacy, whatever it is, we have people just waiting and looking for that opportunity to come alongside you. Uh, you can access uh, that form uh, that was sent out to our membership and to others who are regular attenders, or you can simply uh, call into the church, however you want to do it, just call anyone in the church. And once we know of your need, uh, someone will be there to help you. Now let's, uh, oh, let me also thank everyone who's making this service uh, possible. Uh, you're going to be uh, here singing um, for the choir, Sandy Boyd, uh, Carlton Curtis, Barb Browntree, Tick Forrester, and Harold Parker. Uh, Lynn Folks is playing the flute. Our music uh, director, Amy Reaver, is here at the piano and directing the music. And I want to thank uh, Chris Hadlich and Lincoln Belfay who are in the sound booth and just making this recording possible. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship.
For our call to worship, let me read from Romans 5, this great truth. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let's sing of this great truth through blessed assurance. praise our God for this wonderful story that we possess, and that is of the great love that is shown to us from you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and you have given to us your Holy Spirit to awaken us to this glorious truth, to cause us to repent, to turn us to you, and now we may come before you even now to offer up to you the worship, the, the adoration that is yours May your spirit so be upon us, so that as we lift up our worship before you, you will take great pleasure in what you receive. And we pray to you the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our confession of faith this morning comes from the Nicene Creed. Let's recite this together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is Psalm 22, verses 1 through 18. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up 
like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They glare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. 
Our Father, we, we give you thanks and we, we are filled with wonder of how deep your love is for us. We who are parents, and have been, who are now our grandparents, we, we, we look at this sacrifice that a father has made of his son. And not, uh, this is not a sacrifice that needed to be made for your glory, for, uh, for even for your joy. You did not need us. You did not need to, to save us. And yet you have chosen to do so. And you have chosen to send your son to die for those who not merely are, were we sinners, but we were your enemies. So it is in that condition that your son came, that he gave up of his, his life, yielded his life upon a cross for us. What wondrous love this truly is. We can do nothing but to, to give you thanks, to adore you, to, to worship you. There's nothing that we can, can pay for such a sacrifice. There's no work that we can do, no merit that we can earn cannot even thank you enough. All that we can do is but to receive this. And in the receiving of this, to be, to be filled with the, the awe of such wondrous love as this. Father, we confess that even as we acknowledge this great sacrifice made for us, we've often lived as though no sacrifice has been made at all. We either have sought again to, to try to keep winning your favor, thinking that um, we needed to do that job of redeeming ourselves, of making up for uh, the loss, making up for our sins. Well, we simply have not thought that our sins were that great. Simply all you needed to do was to, to, to wave your hands, to just simply say to, to forget about it. Yet this is what a, a holy God has done, satisfying justice, and yet still to, to win the lost. Oh, we thank you for this great mystery and this wonder of your love. All the more then, may we live for your glory. And may we examine ourselves each day as we examine ourselves even now, the ways that we have gone astray, the ways that we have fallen, not to keep beating up upon ourselves, but to understand all the more that work that you are doing within us by your Holy Spirit to become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And each time as we uh, examine ourselves and, and see the sins that remain within us and all the times that we've fallen, to experience all again just a, that sense of knowing of your forgiveness, never reminding ourselves that that death that was died upon that cross was done once and for all. And it is over, this work that needs to be accomplished to win our salvation. And we thank you and we praise you. Our Father, we lift before you our, uh, our world in which we still live. And again, we, we think of the uh, coronavirus pandemic that is going on throughout the whole world. And here it is in one sense that it has united us together. We all are facing 
uh, the same fears and worries and the, the same disease striking in all parts of this world. We are reminded of how we are united together in our mortality, united together as your creatures. And our Father, we pray as Christians, as those who have been saved by our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray as the priest for this world. And we intercede on behalf of this world, and we pray for your mercy. We pray for that work of your common grace to come and to, to bring relief uh, from this worldwide pandemic. We pray, our Father, for you to have mercy upon all nations and upon all peoples. Our Father, we lift up the thousands who have died uh, from this disease. Keep it ever before us, our Father, then whatever a percentage may be, and, and however pleased we might be of a low percentage of those dying, that those are individuals, those are your uh, creatures who have died. Many of them are our brothers and sisters, whether we have, have known who they are or have not known them. And we pray for their loved ones. We pray for their families, their friends. We pray for their churches, for their communities who grieve uh, over the deaths of their friends. Our Father, this is a reminder of death that goes on every day. There are even many more who are grieving the loss of loved ones through other, other ways of illness, accidents, murders, all the many different ways that death again rears its ugly head. There is grief all the time because of death, grief everywhere. So again, we intercede on behalf of this world to pray for your mercies and your peace, to be upon those grieving the loss of loved ones, to grant them comfort, to sustain them. But our Father, we, we pray all the more that you will use uh, what is a tragedy, what is a crisis, Turn it for your glory for the sake of the gospel. We pray that many now, being made aware of their mortality, would turn to their creator, that they will not rest until they uh, find their confidence and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which one man may be saved. May they come to know that, and may we be faithful in our witness. We pray that for our sister churches throughout this world, for our church family throughout this world, to give them that, that means, that opportunity to, to witness to their neighbors and to their loved ones, that they may experience the joy of seeing others come into your kingdom. So we just pray for an outpouring of blessing to come forth from this. We pray for the expansion of your kingdom. Our Father, we pray for uh, those, again, who are on the front lines uh, of the uh, pandemic. We think of the doctors, the nurses, the technicians, those working hard to develop, developing testing, uh, those who working hard to prepare vaccines, all those who have been given great 
burdens and responsibility to make decisions that affect millions of people. We pray for you to sustain them, to uphold them all. Again, we particularly lift up our, our doctors and nurses and all who are working in the hospitals. We pray for your care for them and protection of them, sustain them each day. Our hearts go out for those, particularly in, in hot spots throughout this country. We think of New York City, of Los Angeles. We think of Atlanta nearby. We pray for all of these areas uh, where the people are crowded together and, and hospitals are being filled. And some are going over capacity now. All the more we pray. Pray for you to be the healer. Bring an end to this pandemic. Bring this crisis to an end. To make, we pray for our country, to make our country ever stronger through this. And then in some way that you would just make the world a better place through this. As we recognize, again, our, our, that we are all mortal together and that we need each other. May we, the, the followers of Jesus Christ, be at the lead of this, showing forth love, showing forth compassion. Be with the people of our own church, each one in their own house, listening to this even now. There are those who are sick. There are those who are lonely. There are those who are, are worried about their loved ones. Be with them now, even as they're listening to this, this prayer. May your spirit be there with them, speaking to them and comforting them, upholding them. And then as your word is proclaimed, pray for the blessing of your spirit that the words that will go forth will be true to you, that you would open up our hearts, our ears, to hear your word being spoken to us, to hear the gospel message. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Rejected and alone like a rose. 
comes from the Gospel of Luke in the second chapter, verses 22 through 35. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Thank you, Carlton. Well, I'm sure most of you uh, remember that movie, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Well, today we're going to take a look at um, the hater, the indifferent, and the loving as we move now to the crucifixion of Jesus. And our opening verse sets the scene, and I invite you to, well, either use your Bibles, or again, if you're using the church bulletin, uh, you will find the text there in front of you. It's John 19. It's the last part of verse 16. We're going to go through verse 27. So so John 19, 16b to verse 27. So I'm going to open up with the first couple of verses here. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. We say now, of the four gospel writers, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John by far is the most unique. If you read throughout his gospel, he leaves out just very common episodes that are found in the other writers, and then he adds new ones all together. And this distinctiveness of John comes out especially and how he's going to present the crucifixion. John focuses on what the other writers 
You know, maybe they briefly mention it, or they just don't even mention it at all. They pass over it. And then he ignores what they clearly consider uh, to be the focal events. There's no mention of the mocking of the religious leaders, Jesus on the cross. There's no reference uh, to the sun being darkened. There's no mention of that haunting cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what is it that John does give attention to? Well, in our passage, there are going to be three features involving three groups of people pretty much represent different perspectives or responses toward Jesus. Those who hate him, those who are indifferent to him, and those who love him. Let's look, at, first of all, at the haters. I'm beginning to read in verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Now evidently this inscription, the king of the Jews, is important to John. It is the charge against the criminal being crucified, which was typically put on a placard again over the criminal's head. Now, of the gospel writers, John gives the fullest wording, and he makes a special point of its prominence. It's actually because John wants us to know that many Jews read the sign that he he tells us that the, the crucifixion takes place near the city. And he adds, for that matter, that the sign was written in three languages, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, so that we could understand that everyone would have been able to read it. So Jesus of Nazareth, the man is charged with presenting himself as the king of the Jews. Now, clearly, this is how everyone would have understood the charge. But even having said that, the The idea that this title is put over his head, I mean, it just so galls the chief priest. I mean, so they want it to be specified that this man said that I am king of the Jews, as as if that would have made any difference, as if no one already understood that that was what it had issued. You know, it's not enough for these religious leaders that they got Pilate to hang Jesus on a cross. They want editing privileges as well. But then remember this about them. They understood the significance that Jesus gave that title. That he was, they understood that he understood himself, that he was king of God's kingdom as the son of God. Now it's true that they would have been concerned about the trouble that regarding Jesus as a king would have presented for their nation with the Romans, uh, that certainly motivated them. True, it was also that they were offended by Jesus' comments about them. That made them angry and hate him all the more. But above all these things, their hatred was fueled by the blasphemy that they sincerely believed Jesus was guilty of. 
and he regarded himself as son of God. That was blasphemy. All right, let's move on now. We've, we've had the haters, the religious leaders. Let's move to the soldiers who present to us those who are indifferent. I'm in verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Now let's think about this for a moment. We're there at the scene. Jesus is hanging, suffering on a cross. And now we have these men there below that cross, casting lots for his clothes. I mean, such indifference, such, such callousness. You know, they, they had to be hearing the groaning of Jesus and, and the other two thieves. And all the while, though, their interest is in this this cool tunic of Jesus and who gets to have it. Now, I I suppose that this is understandable to a degree when you consider their experience. They would have witnessed this kind of horrible spectacle many times. You have to build up a a measure of of callousness eventually. And I I suppose it's needed just if you're going to remain sane. Having said that, to lose sensitivity to to suffering is a heavy price to pay for sanity. And to ignore who it is that is on that cross, to play games for his clothes. I think it seems even worse than the hatred of the religious leaders. At At least their hatred is a response to Jesus. He's their focal point. The soldiers' indifference make Jesus into into a nothing, a no one. So we've seen hatred, we've seen indifference, but thankfully this is not the whole story. There is also love at the cross. Look with me in verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So in contrast to the four soldiers bartering for this clothing of Jesus are the four women who very much care about that man on the cross. And they themselves are experiencing, no doubt, overwhelming grief, for they love him. There is his mother Mary, for whom the prophecy of Simeon came true, that a sword will pierce through your own soul also. There is Mary's sister, And then there are two other Marys, one we do not know. There's the the wife of Clopas, and there's one that we do know, Mary Magdalene. Think of this, of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, of Mary Magdalene, 
Can you think of anyone whose love for Jesus would have been more deeply felt? I think close to it would have been that disciple whom Jesus loved, the one disciple who remained faithful, who, who probably was John, the only gospel writer to record this incident. Isn't it heartening to know that in our Lord's most grievous moment there were some there who loved him? But even having said this, John's focus actually is not on the love of others for him, but on the love of Jesus for them. In the midst of great agony, the son is caring for the welfare of his mother. Love is at the cross in the form of these women, and love is on the cross. Let's go back now and look at each of these emotional responses to Jesus and see what we can learn for ourselves. Let's go back to the hatred. Now, I think it would be difficult today to find anyone who hates Jesus, at least who admits that they hate him. Muslims, they revere Jesus as a great prophet. No other religion that I'm aware of disdains him. Even atheists respect him. They like Jesus. They hate what we Christians claim for him, that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross to save us from our sins. I mean, as far as as our society is concerned, it's okay to have Jesus, the good man, even, even say Jesus is a great man, perhaps even the greatest man. You can make him a prophet. You can make him a holy man. Just don't claim that he is God. Well, unless we're kind of new age, and we mean that everyone is God. They think it's all right if we promote Jesus' teachings. But except for the I am sayings that would refer to him as, as having divine qualities. They would not like his sayings about hell and probably would want us to cut that out. Maybe they would say stick to his ethical teachings then they would not like his intolerance about divorce and particularly about adultery. But other than all those claims and sayings, they would be saying to us, hey, what is there to hate about Jesus? And so the hatred is turned on the followers of Jesus, who makes all of these objectionable claims about him, who are willing to teach his unpopular teachings, but then, isn't this what Jesus, Jesus had said to his disciples, that this is what would happen? He said that if you were of, of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hatred, well, it goes with the territory. We will be hated. We'll be hated for what we believe about Jesus, who he is, what he has done, how anyone, how everyone must respond to him. We'll be hated for our claims about Jesus because because of one reason, all the claims we make about Jesus are claims that we're also making about other people. So when we proclaim Jesus as God, that means one thing, there must be a God. And there is a God who has claims over us as his creatures. People don't like that. 
we are proclaimed that we are not our own masters, that we owe duty and service to God. No one wants to be under any master. When we proclaim Jesus as Savior, we are actually saying then that we are not good, that we are sinners and we need saving. And to proclaim Jesus as the only Savior, well, it means that we are helpless. And all the other efforts, all the other religions have no value when it comes to saving us. You know, for the adherent of another religion, that kind of claim is blasphemous against their gods. For the modern secularists, that kind of claim is blasphemous against oneself, one's personal dignity. And then furthermore, again, we're going to be hated for following the teachings of Jesus, not just teaching them, but following them. And we're definitely learning that today, aren't we? Because we keep the standards on sex as taught by Jesus or affirmed by him as as he was a keeper of the Old Testament ethical teachings, our society hates with the near intensity of those religious leaders for Jesus. They hate us. And like the, the beliefs about Jesus, holding to Jesus' ethical teachings, they consider that bad news. And anyone who would practice these things, well, they ought to be condemned. So what do we do? How do we respond to hatred? Well, we do what Jesus, our King, taught us to do. To love our neighbor. To let the light of the gospel shine in our lives. To show the mark of a a true disciple of Jesus by our love for one another. To demonstrate that peace and, and joy that we have in him. In other words, we do not ourselves give in to hatred. Giving in to hatred is easier to do than we may suspect. This is something each of us needs to examine about ourselves. We need to examine the jokes we make and pass on about these haters. Especially we need to do this when we are on Facebook and other social media. We need to examine the jokes we make and that we pass on about these haters? Are we quick to believe the words that we we hear about them? We need to take a look at our emails and our social postings. How much of what we post is angry? How much of it lacks grace? And would readers of what we post and what we say, would they note a distinction between the tone of our haters the tone of ourselves, who represent Jesus. Would they observe hate on one side and love on the other? Would they conclude that, well, however much foolish and offensive our beliefs may be, they have to admit that the way that we speak, the way that we relate in love, clearly here is the difference that our king makes in our lives. So we need to be careful as we respond to hatred. We respond in love. Show the world what love is. And now let's move to indifference. Now, unlike uh, hatred, there are many today 
who, yes, are clearly indifferent to Jesus in, in whatever manner uh, he is understood by us or anyone else. They really do not have interest in the subject. I mean, you try to talk to them about Jesus, they're not going to argue with you. you. At best, you can be pushed aside without comment, or if you get a comment, it will just simply be that, well, they're not religious. It's nice for you, but they're just not into that. If they're nice, they're going to nod their heads politely to you. And as soon as you are gone, they're going to put you and Jesus out of their minds as quickly as possible. You know, the indifferent are those who think basically that they've already seen it all. Or at least that they know, well, at least they know what not to be bothered with. They're not angry with our beliefs. They just think we're fools to commit to something, and certainly to someone or to some king and, and who's exercising control over our lives. As far as they understand, there is nothing more in this life than what we see, and so to each his own. Life is a game. Play it hard, play it easy, whatever way you want to play it. Just understand that it's a game that ends when we die. Now, indifference is found in many forms. It's found in both those who are great achievers, those who are sluggers. But here's the point to it all. What is common about it? Indifference is ultimately a worse attitude toward Jesus than hatred. Hatred makes Jesus an enemy. Indifference makes Jesus of no account. Indifference is a greater enemy to the spread of the gospel than hatred. Hatred opposes the spread of the gospel. Indifference ignores it. Hatred at least arouses interest in Jesus and the gospel. Indifference just simply has no interest in it. You know, I think of um, one Christian who had despised Christianity. I mean, he hated it. And he loved to argue against uh, Christians' beliefs until one day, because he kept arguing and, and with folks, he finally met his match. And he finally had to turn in and give his life over to the Lord. Now, it's not the hater. It's the neighbor who smiles at your efforts to talk of Jesus. That's the hardest case to win. And the only thing I can think of for them is to pray, and even to pray for trial to come their way. That is what most likely will shake them out of the stupor of their indifference. That's why I was praying, even regarding the pandemic, that it might awaken people to their mortality. But, brothers and sisters, we also need to examine ourselves in this regard of indifference. We will speak of revering God's holiness. And yet, oftentimes, we speak to him, even in our prayers and of him, with a tone of indifference. How zealous we need to ask ourselves, are we truly for the glory of God, for the salvation of our neighbor? I look back, gosh, I don't know, more than 40 years ago now, in my seminary class of my theology professor, and he was one who was noted for his humor, always uh, had a great wit, and um, causing us to laugh in class. And we finally came to the doctrine of hell. 
And he made this point that I will never forget, that hell is the one subject that is never a laughing matter. How many jokes have we made? How many jokes have we shared about hell? If we truly believe there is hell, we will never, ever treat it in a light and laughing manner. And all of this, the ways that we act, the way that we're thinking, this can be indifference. So we need to be serious about following our Lord. Be serious about laboring for his kingdom. Be serious about this business of heaven and extending the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that we're not to have fun, just the opposite. We're to be all the more earnest in taking joy in our Lord, not being satisfied with a humdrum faith. Okay, we've looked at hatred. We've looked at indifference. And then there is love. Now, we didn't realize that the goal of evangelism is to produce more and more lovers of Jesus. We're not looking for more people to conform to our doctrines or to build up our church numbers or to win to our side uh, more people in the culture wars. No, we, we seek to make Jesus known that Jesus might be loved, to love Jesus, it is to love him like the four women at the cross. Think about them for a moment. At the cross, their hopes lay dead. It cannot save him from suffering. It cannot save him from death. They had hoped that he would be the Messiah who would save them. And he hangs on the cross displaying his helplessness. Even so, their love cannot be diminished. How could a mother bear to watch her son in such agony? But she is there. How could Mary Magdalene behold the man who delivered her from demonic slavery? Bear such a sight. But she is there. And consider John who had, had followed Jesus for those three years, anticipating the day that he would be establishing his kingdom. You know, John had hoped to sit on, on, on the right side of Jesus, right there, helping to, to rule the kingdom. And now he's at Jesus' side watching his dreams die. But he is there. This is love. You know, there will be times when your dreams are shaken, maybe even when your dreams are killed. There will be times when your strong faith and hope that is founded in Jesus are shaken to their core. Will you still be there by his side because of your love for him? Remember this when those times come. Remember this when your faith becomes dry and when you feel the, the pull of the world toward other pleasures or when the world pressures you to regard the cross as folly. Remember the example of these women and of John whose love for Jesus kept them by his side. Stay true to him. Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. To paraphrase Jesus, whoever keeps true to me despite what one is going through or how one feels at the time, such is the person who loves me. May we be such lovers of Jesus. 
But as I noted earlier, the real point here is not about how we love Jesus, but how he loves us. This is our greatest lesson. There upon the cross, we see how he loves us, dying to save us from our sins. Even having said that, Jesus' comment to his disciple John indicates love upon love, a further point about our Savior's love. You know, as if, if committing the, the, the great sacrifice to save Mary from her sins, as if that were not enough, he wants to see that she is provided with a loving home. And so we can know this. Know that your needs are neither, neither too great nor are they too small for your Savior to meet. Your salvation is your greatest need. And if that is secure for you, then you are blessed indeed. But Jesus still knows. He still knows that you have many needs on this earth. Some are big, even life-threatening concerns. Others may seem small to, to others, but your needs are. Indeed, you... You're even embarrassed to speak of them. But your Lord knows about them, and he cares for you. It is he who taught that his father's care for the birds of the air and the the flowers of the field are messages to you that his father knows, and he will provide for for your daily needs. For this is what love does. And for those of you, there is anyone who is listening who is yet to know of such love, understand that it's available for you now. You do not need to prove your worthiness. You do not need further instruction on what to believe or do. Your Savior went to the cross to save you from your sins. That's all you need to know. And if you but call upon him, you may know what it is to be called his friend you will know what it is to receive his love. We give you thanks and praise, our God, for this great love that you have shown to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that love that is able to to meet the greatest need of all of our salvation, removing the guilt of our sins, of providing us to victory over death itself, and for that love that provides and cares about the smallest of our needs, our daily bread, our concerns for each day, we can look to the cross and all we see and know such love. Our closing hymn in worship today is O Sacred Head, Now Wounded, This hymn is new to many of us, so Amy and Lynn will play it through once, and then we'll sing all three verses.
from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. Amen.